0: Welcome everyone to Connected Learning TV. This is the final webinar of a month-long series that's been organized by Educator Innovator titled Looking Closely at Student Work in the Digital Age. I'm Christina Cantrell. I'm from the National Writing Project and I'll be your host for today. Uh, Throughout June we've had several partners working on this series, KQED, Educator Innovator, the Maker Education Initiative, and Project Zero. And everybody's been helping us really look at the ways that student production is changing in the digital age and how educators, as well as and alongside learners and makers themselves, uh, can make sense of these shifts that are happening today. Here we're going to be chatting with a group involved in the Maker Education Open Portfolio Project. So I'm really excited about that. This is a project which aims to develop a common set of practices for open portfolio creation and sharing. Um, but before we dive into that, we want to go over a few Connected Learning-ish details. So um, for those who are watching live right now, we welcome your comments. So you can comment either on the event page, or the Google Plus event page, Um, or you can tweet to the Connected Learning hashtag, and John, who is our silent producer in the background with the Connected Learning Alliance, will um, bring those questions to us so we can integrate them into our discussion here. Um, Also, throughout the rest of this month, we encourage you to continue this conversation about looking closely at student work in the digital age, and we'll be chatting at the Connected Learning Google community, which we encourage you to join, as well as using the same connected learning hashtag in an ongoing way. So thank you for joining us today. So um, without further ado, I'd really like to give our guests a chance to uh, briefly introduce themselves. Um, Each of us, um, including myself actually, are members of the Open Portfolio Projects National Working Group. And several people here started this initiative. So I want to give everybody a chance to give their name and where they're from. I was also thinking that um, because of the rich history of portfolios and the potentially multiple perspectives that people watching this today bring to the mix, and because of the history and backgrounds that I know exist within this group, I thought that we could even just start with sharing what brings us to working with or thinking about portfolios in the first place. Um, and that this would be a nice way to start to show some of the threads that, that, that are being brought together to think about open portfolios today. So I have the task of pointing out who is on the left. So Anna, maybe we'll go left to right, and you are first.
1: All right. Hi. So my name is Anna. Um, I'm a doctoral student at Indiana University at the Learning Sciences Program. I have a background in designing digital tools um, in close collaboration with teachers and students and yeah as Christina said I'm involved with the Open Portfolio Project and what fascinates me about portfolios is exactly because they are so different there are so many different kinds of portfolios that can support young makers in so many different ways like for example documenting their process in relation to different kind of artifacts that they create but also in relation to their personal development, sort of reflecting their decision making and potential future steps that they want to be involved with, future projects, and so on. And at the same time, they're really context specific and really building on the kinds of tools that are available in the spaces and sort of the learning intentions, and that is really context specific. Everybody's sort of really different, and every space is a little different. And so I'm really interested in understanding what are different documentation practices already out there and how can we build on these together with young makers through participatory design to get into a better understanding of what are really excellent portfolio practices.
0: Great. Thank you. Christian, you're up next.
2: Hi, uh, I'm Christian McKay and I'm also a doctoral student in the learning sciences program here at Indiana University. Um, I, my background is uh, I have an MFA in sculpture and um, I've been a working artist um, for, uh, for like 20 years now I guess, um, which makes me seem old now that I say it. Um, I've also worked as a, a high school art teacher and I uh, was the AP uh, art teacher. Uh, as well for the high school that I worked at and so that's kind of my direct link to um, portfolio use as a practitioner both in my my own profession um, and also as an educator myself Um, and I'm I'm really interested in um, in the capacity of portfolios to function as a as a learning tool and uh, I'm really interested in um, how they can be Reconsidered uh, from even uh, the assessment and the summative assessment uh, functions that they they certainly served in the uh, in the AP art portfolios that I was uh, that I was working with, with the students with. So I'm kind of interested in we've had discussions around uh, identity development and curational aspects of portfolios, and I think that there's uh, a significant uh, promise for portfolios to function uh, in that regard, so that learners are not just developing just their identity in the general sense, but also how uh, they're developing their identity as learners as well. So.
0: Great. Thank you, Christian. Yeah. Uh, Hilary, you are next. Hi everybody,
3: uh, I'm Hillary Kolos and I am uh, the Director of Digital and Teen Programs at DreamYard, uh, which is in the Bronx. Um, we are the largest arts education provider in the Bronx. Um, we're also we're an early adopter of UMedia, Media and our um, a member of uh, New York Hive. And um, we're sort of new in our connection to the um, Open Portfolio Project, we were so excited when um, I talked to Christine uh, about that um, and made this connection because Uh, We at Dreamyard have been working together in a partnership with Parsons, the new school of design. Um, And we did a pilot last year that was funded by the New York Community Trust, uh, their Hive Digital Media and Learning Fund. Um, And then we just got uh, kind of our next level of funding um, to take it bigger. And um, yeah, we're super excited to have a two-year grant to take it to the next level and spread it more across um, all of the work that we do. Um, and basically we're trying to figure out right along with everyone else um, best practices for digital portfolio um, development and I think as an organization we're really excited about helping our young people tell their story in a broader way it's not just about your SAT scores or your grades um, but really looking at connected learning and what are the other things you do in your life, what are the things you do at our art center, what are the things you do for academics um, and we think digital portfolios are a great way to talk about that and then um, just really quickly Personally, I am really interested in the whole assessment conversation that we're having. I've had a little trouble getting into the, uh, I've been around the badge conversation, had trouble to getting into it. And now that I'm talking about portfolios, I'm seeing ways that it all works together. And so I'm really excited to talk generally about assessment with digital learning um, and how work badges and portfolios can kind of work together to tell a fuller story of what our young people are learning and doing. Thanks.
0: Great. Thank you, Hillary. And congratulations on that award, too.
4: Um, so Jessica.: Are you skipping, Stephanie? <laughs> Sorry. In the order that I see. Yeah, um, different, so <laughs> my order Now I'm confused. Um, so my name is Jessica Ross, and I work at Project Zero on a project called Agency by Design, um, which I think we'll get into a bit more during this. But I had um, sort of three distinct experiences I thought of um, when you asked us to think about you know how we came to portfolios and understand them. Some of those parallel Christians but in a different discipline. So I was a middle school um, English teacher, English and history teacher for 10 years and so my first experience was thinking about um, uh, you know writing workshop and portfolio in the English classroom, um, being an advocate for national writing practices and writing with my students which also meant building portfolio with my students and thinking about that. My next move um, in a few years later was um, becoming English department chair, and then, of course, thinking about scale and thinking about the school culture and portfolios and other teachers' experience with portfolios and how, how to turn these into something beyond sort of the receptacle at the end of the year, throw things in a folder, and maybe that was just, as Christian mentioned, an assessment piece to add to some scores, um, how to make um, you know the students be a part of the process and not just have this be something the teachers felt was a paperwork burden. An interesting thing that happened while I was department chair was to you know, Common Core came in and um, you can save that for another webinar, but um, just the, the idea about the Common Core literacy standards being a possibility space for interdisciplinary, so maybe the English department talking with the science and the history department and how that might work. So that was sort of an interesting um, Way to look at portfolios. And lastly, um, as a grad student in a writing department, um, I had to build my own e portfolio. And the department had sort of a genre set they were expecting, you know, a journalism portfolio, a creative writing portfolio, but I was in education and staying in that discipline. So at that point, then I had to sort of advocate and curate um, my e portfolio for. A grad writing student staying in the education field. So, those kind of just three different lenses that move me through thinking about portfolios, which make all this work really exciting to look at for
5: me. Great, thank you.
0: It's really interesting. Okay, Stephanie.
5: Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Stephanie Jang. I'm the Director of Youth Engagement at MakerEd at the Maker Education Initiative, and I have the honor of getting to work with all of these lovely people as part of the Open Portfolio project. Um, We collaborate directly with Indiana University and their creativity labs, led by Dr. Kylie Pepler. Um, And all of these other ladies on uh, the webinar today are also part of our national working group um, who help to advise and chime in on everything that we're doing as part of this project, which is Generously funded by the Gordon Betty Moore Foundation. Um, personally, uh, I come. I've been working in informal education for almost almost ten years now. And um, so actually, similarly to Jessica, one of the interesting things that brought me to portfolios is something that I did do as a master student, which is curate my own uh, as an education student. And I too thought that was really interesting because I drew a lot of. Um, just information from art, science, and other design portfolios and was curious to figure out what I wanted to showcase. Um, And then in my work with young makers and youth in general in informal science and art, um, it's been really interesting to see young makers specifically figure out what and how they want to showcase what they're doing. A lot of them focus on the end results um, and take pictures and pose with their projects and things like that. And we're curious to see uh, what that means for what they're showing off. Um, And similarly, I did previously had done some work in environmental education, and we were always curious to um, find evidence of student interest and student engagement in environmental education environments um, to see if that was um, what they took pictures of, what they wrote about, what they talked about, if that was evidence of interest, of engaged interest and self-directed interest. Um, That's kind of my background.
0: Great. Thank you. Um, And I would just add that, um, uh, as I said, I work for the National Writing Project, and and what I've come to this work with is also sort of working with teachers, as Jessica referenced. you know, uh, many doing writing workshop or working with youth, um, putting together writing portfolios and, and writing in lots of different genres too. So I have that kind of experience working with um, or learning from educators about that work. But one of the most um, sort of pivotal ones for me was early when I started working with the Philadelphia Writing Project and seeing the work of the Prospect Center in Vermont. And the reason I wanted to bring them in too is because um, what they did was as a community, as a school community, they, they, sh- they collected all the work that all the youth were making throughout their learning journey. So they had actually as a community a large body of work that they then used to look and understand what they were doing as well as understand themselves and, and learning throughout. So I saw the Philadelphia Writing Project. Um, and Judy Buchanan particularly leading work around educators learning from looking at the student work that was produced when you look across a body of work. So um, that that was very exciting to me and sort of what brought me into really wanting to think more deeply about this together. So thanks everyone. Um, so great. So um, we just uh, uh, I would say, well, Christian and, um, and I said, I should say Christian, uh, just completed a, uh, a literature review um, that many people contributed to here um, for the Open Portfolio Project. Um, and um, he says in that, that, um, or he wrote that, at it's simplest, portfolios have been described as a collection of artifacts to be assessed for a variety of educational and professional purposes. So I just wanted to put that out there as like a working definition for us to play with. I think that everybody here started bringing in all these different aspects of what that can look like and what that can mean. Um, But just sort of as a base definition for us to start with. Um, And and I think that this group really shows, you know, kind of the threads that that go throughout all this work. Stephanie, I was wondering if we could just start with you um, and dig a little bit more into um, Maker Education, you know, what it is, and why you're interested in starting this Open Portfolio project in the first place.
5: Sure. I can uh, give a glimpse into it. Um, So the Maker Education Initiative, Maker Ed, as we refer to ourselves a little bit more, um, we're a national nonprofit based in Oakland, and we Started back in 2012. We're still relatively young. Um, we were founded by Dale Doherty, um, who runs Maker Faire and Make Magazine. And our focus is entirely on education and making. So we work with educators and organizations in all communities throughout the US to help create more opportunities for students to develop confidence, creativity, and interest in learning through making. Um, And that comes through through a lot of the programs that we run. Um, And Open Portfolios in specific is a project that we're really excited about because many of the questions that we get are, um, how do we Um, bring together all of the work that's been done by students and teachers alike, any, actually any learner, um, and show what's been done. And that we were learning as through our lit review and a lot of our field research um, what that looks like in the past, in the present, and also into the future. And it's different these days because um, there are many more both analog and digital tools that are being used to document um, and capture what learning has happened and what projects have been created. Um, and some of this started also a couple years back when MIT announced as part of its admissions process that they were going to accept um, maker portfolios in addition to the normal test scores and other things as, uh, as part of the admissions package. Um, and we are also very curious and delighted to see that happen um, and want to see that continue to take place um, with other um, companies, organizations, and college admissions.
0: Oh, that's super exciting, and um, and you said you've seen makers using, sort of documenting their work, Have you, are you, so you're seeing makers use, how are makers using portfolios, like why portfolios to makerspaces, I guess, because you sort of said that a little bit before, and um, yeah, maybe you could just talk about that, and then um, just to give us a little sense, like why are we thinking about particularly in maker ed?
5: Yeah, definitely. So I think um, in we're, we're seeing a lot of makers and, and learners in general document what they do. Um, I think the, the most common tool is a notebook um, and sketches, and that it pervades and still is wonderful and really exciting to see uh, maker notebooks and design notebooks and learner notebooks and really see what's uh, kind of enmeshed in all of that. Um, But in addition, digital tools are being used, everything from things like uh, Tumblr and other blogging websites to um, video and photo capabilities and short Vine and all those sorts of things. So it's been really interesting to see the mix and mingle of how these technologies um, intersect with each other and how they're being used. Um, And additionally, with uh, teachers and educators, we've been exploring how they are having and allowing their students to document what they're doing both um, as individual student projects, individual student work, but then also collective work as a whole. And that obviously um, goes into the direction of assessment and evaluation as well.
0: I was thinking that um, Hillary started talking about how people you know this is a way to tell your story in a broader way and it sounds like this is you know very much what this is about and uh, Hillary also brought up the connected learning that really thinking about this in a sort of connected um, learning kind of way and Christian I was wondering if you could help us start to surface some of the um, connected learning issues that portfolios address and why portfolios can be such good solutions for that work.
2: Um, Yeah I mean I I think that Kind of the the way that portfolios um, kind of function is in this really holistic fashion within the learning environment, and I think that really speaks to you know the, the transdisciplinary nature of the ideas behind connected learning, where um, you know you're kind of working across and through um, the variety of, of disciplines that that we're learning in, you know, be they. Um, Uh, art or design or mathematics or writing and that those things in a portfolio practice have uh, ample opportunity to be interconnected and interwoven um, in building the portfolio so that the portfolio doesn't really need to function um, just within one disciplinary practice uh, of making regardless what that is Uh, and regardless of whether that's in the informal space of makerspaces um, where we're kind of focusing our, our looking um, but uh, but also in the classroom space. And then I, I think that the connection definitely between, uh, you know, doing this work uh, in conjunction and collaboration with Maker Education Initiative and these more informal spaces, um, you know, has a lot of valuable lessons for, you um, helping to insert portfolio practice uh, back into the classroom, which has existed uh, for sure in the past um, and existed uh, in many ways as an alternative form of assessment to kind of push back against the the historical precedent of standardized testing and standardized assessments. Um, But uh, I I think that um, that landscape Within within education currently today is is a difficult place to incorporate a portfolio practice because it's it's kind of this more holistic kind of practice uh, where portfolios are not just an add-on uh, but are more of an integrated aspect of the entire learning environment and that's how they they seem to function really well. Um, but that being said, I think that the lessons that, that we're going to learn and are learning and we'll continue to learn uh, with the OPP project, the Open Portfolio Project, um, will help uh, teachers uh, integrate portfolio practice directly into their classroom, uh, regardless of, you know, kind of more at that local level, I guess so so that we, we don't have to think necessarily as much about these kind of broader policy changes where portfolio practice kind of trickles down into the classroom, but it's actually this opportunity for it to be kind of integrated into the classroom by the teacher, because portfolios have also been shown to work really well at that local level.
0: Great, thank you,
4: Christian.
0: Before we sort of, uh, that brought up a whole sort of strand of thought that I think is really interesting to dig a little bit more. Uh, we did have a question though from the um, chat that I just wanted to surface, which is sort of gets this transdisciplinary nature question that you mentioned. So the question is, um, do we draw a distinction between arts and crafting and making? So it kind of goes back to sort of defining making and thinking about what do we mean by making, I think. Um, and can making include doing things for yourself versus working in the open with others? So it's also about that sort of individual making as well as collaboration. Does someone want to take that on a little bit? Let's
5: see, Stephanie, do you want?
2: Oh, go ahead. Go, go ahead, so, Stephanie.
5: <laughs> sure, I can take a stab at answering the question. I would say, yes, um, we we definitely would say making includes arts and crafts, for sure. Um, it, it is a very broad and inclusive definition, and I, I'll fully admit that we struggle with defining exactly what making is. We do want it to be as broad as possible, um, recognizing that everyone's interests um, are diverse, and um, the, the quality and the... the the asset behind making is the hands-on, self-directed inquiry-based learning behind it, and it's very open-ended. So in that sense, it does also um, include doing things by yourself and for yourself, as well as working collaboratively in an open group. Um, I think some of the portfolio work that we've been doing also really thinks about how makers, whether individual or group, tell their story um, and how they showcase their story. Um, so in that sense, yeah, making can be absolutely anything from electronics to woodworking to quilting and everything in between. That's
0: great. And Anna, um, I think you were going to add to that
1: a little bit. I could add to that, yeah. So I think I think that sort of very inclusive way of seeing making is really the beautiful part of making too. Um, that that sort of definitional work maybe happens in practice. So instead of or comparing that to maybe this term design making may lower sort of the barrier of entry especially also for young people to participate in this in this space because maybe these sort of professional association might not be linked to that term so much yet.
0: Great. And Christian I know we sort of cut you off for a moment there, do you want to
2: add to that? I, I don't think I have as, as... Too much to add. I, I think that was a pretty uh, eloquent um, uh, way to put it that uh, Stephanie did, in, in Anna's addition too. I my comments were uh, mostly just kind of from this personal perspective of, and I, I think all of us in this group are actually would consider ourselves makers and have been engaged in a practice of, of making. Um, certainly, as you know, as a as a working artist, I've been uh, engaged in the social community. And culture of people who call themselves makers and have for a long time. So, yeah, I think it's definitely this all inclusive thing, like Stephanie was talking about. Great.
0: Thank you. Um, So, I wanted to get back to a comment that was made um, by Hillary actually about the connection she started to make between sort of the, the discussion about badges and an ecosystem where. Sort of this, I guess I'm picking up on what you were talking about, Christian, about how you know if we start to create an environment where makers have these portfolios and and can document and share their work in some some shared practices around it, that this could impact both out of school spaces and in school spaces. And I know the badge conversation is kind of about that too. So um, I just wanted to and, and I realize that the learning portfolios project with Dreamyard and Parsons. Um, you know, I'm just sort of wondering how you guys are exploring portfolios there and how you're thinking about them and um, what are the connections that you're making with this Open Portfolio project?
3: Sure. Um, and also today, uh, my partner in crime uh, or thought partner on this is um, Jessica Walker who works at um, in the summer in pre-college programs. She's um, also a faculty there um, so that it's truly a partnership so I'm going to try and represent some of the deep thinking that Parsons has done on this Um, but if you have more questions she's she's the one to um, ask Um, but they really have a great um, we knew we needed to do more work around portfolio not just in art and design but you know we have dance majors we have young people that want to go on to be doctors we really wanted something that would help us show the work um, and like I said before tell everyone's stories and also that a lot of kids are doing stuff in and out of school and we wanted to be able to show that full story. Um, so it really spoke to us. And uh, the, the principles that I, I just wanted to share these quickly that I thought um, Parsons really came up with, because this is work that they're also doing in their undergrad programs, um, having trying to have their undergrads um, create these portfolios as uh, learning portfolios as they go along. And um, kind of the principles that first got us really into this is... Um, making the portfolios less linear uh, and more interactive, um, being less about just final work and more in progress, which I've heard a lot of people talk about, kind of showing your work a little bit more. Um, Not just for visual arts, because we know there's a tradition of sort of a physical book that, um, you know, really is just for art and design, uh, but instead making it more multidisciplinary and showing how, you know, whether it involves art or not, that you're really this well-rounded person. You might be great at science and in your church choir and, you know, you do fashion and that really is going to make you um, more exemplary of your actual story of who you are and what you have to offer whether it's a job or school Um, and the last piece is making them less static and more easily shareable and that's really the digital piece for us Um, and that's what we've been having to like the form has been really interesting for us, I think, to figure out. We know we want it to be digital. and in our pilot, we really started with um, teaching teachers how to make class blogs where they were you know giving prompts, and um, I know there's a lot of work that's already been done around that, but that was sort of our first bit was training them around what blogging is, um, how to create a class blog, how to prompt your young people. and they did really amazing cool stuff from that, and that just that could have been like its own project, just like how to teach through blogging. Um, so we've learned a lot through that. and then, um, But then that also becomes a portfolio of a teacher's work. They really liked that that became an archive of the work they were doing and they sort of saw the benefit of it. As a teacher this is something I can show you know others the work I do. And then um, from there from those class blogs the young people were meant to make their own um, kind of autonomous blog. Um, and what we found is that it takes time just to even get the content that you would want to put in a portfolio, right? So we're we're sort of breaking out now more into year one and two. That when the, our young people start with blogging, they're just learning how to blog. They're not. We don't even have to say the word portfolio necessarily. They're just, you know, working through their process, documenting their work, creating an archive. And really, it's probably not going to be until year two unless someone's a senior and really, you know, advanced that um, that they would really maybe take that blog with all this great content in it and then refine it a bit to make it into a maybe a website or you know a, more, a clearer blog because we also get that if it's too much process no one's gonna sift through all that stuff and really go through all four years or whatever of the, that you're trying to show so we are realizing we're trying to find that balance between process and product um, and also Lastly, the one big thing is like digital literacy skills in general. So part of the reason we want to do this is to help young people that don't have access to someone to, with someone you know to help them make a slide book or whatever, um, or how to craft this perfect story to get in um, to school. We want to make it more democratic and um, equitable. But if we find that our young people don't even know how to type on a keyboard, but they know how to type on their mobile phone, right? Like how do we kind of allow for that? Um, how do we teach digital literacy skills um, while we're teaching portfolio development, um, and how do we make sure we're not, you know, broadening the divide that we're already that we're trying to address by needing these digital skills? And just like, do our schools have enough computers to do this? is is another big question. So that's kind of a million things in one little answer, but that's sort of what we've been finding, and we're struggling with, and we're happy to be part of a group that we can struggle along with together.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. And, yeah, I mean, I think it's because it's this ecosystem. You know, there's all these multiple pieces to it. Um, And you bring up some really interesting um, ideas that we should uh, dive deeper into as a group. Um, But I want to give Jessica a chance to talk about um, the Agency by Design Project 2 and Project Zero. And I know that they're working both with teachers and learners, so I also wanted to move us into that for a second, too.
4: Sure. Um, so the Agency by Design project w- is so synergistic with all the work here that when um, the Open Portfolio Project called us, we were like, yes, we're <laughs> running to Bloomington, Indiana. Um, our uh, It's a multi-year research project, and we're looking um, at the promises, practices, and pedagogies of maker-centered learning. And this is a really emergent space, as you all have brought up and know. Um, the, Areas where we're really playing and looking were mentioned earlier, Anna said, sort of an entry point into design is um, having students and also teachers build sort of a sensitivity to the designed world through observation, through just looking at objects and systems, interacting with them, and then making them, hacking them, redesigning those um, objects and systems to gain a sensitivity to their design world. And in there, um, to to get to that, um, we're working with teachers trying different. Um, last week on this in this session, Tina Blythe mentioned things like thinking routines, which is some work that Project Zero has done. So, what are some of the thinking routines or thinking moments, opportunities in um, messing about with design that students can can take, um, and might sort of become habits of mind when um, when moving around the design world. Those we believe are moments to capture to document. Um, so we worked with a group of um, schools out in Oakland this past year and teachers. And this kind of gets into what Hillary just talked about. You know, the the first group is to deal with the teachers to think about how they're going to document this work at the end of our year of toying around with these activities and maker opportunities, we had a gallery of teacher work and we spent the year talking with them about documentation and how they might do this in a very broad sense, Um, thinking about bringing in the student voice and images and video and how are you going to capture these moments, how much product are you going to capture, how much process, etc. And um, you know, just had an amazing gallery of of student and teacher work, but it's, it's you know, it becomes so rich too. It's how do you tease out what you're seeing here and um, and not what's worth looking at, but what to pay attention to and what you can learn from it. Um, answering a lot of the questions too, digital literacy skills, um, making opportunities, um, exploring design, exploring materials. So um, it's a really, really rich space and that makes for lots of choices to make. Um for anybody building a portfolio, anybody looking at it, what the purpose of it might be, um, curating it. I mean, in the digital age, you know, you can capture everything in some ways. Um, and then what is a really interesting question for us. So those are some of the places we've been um, playing with some strands of our research. And um, this, this, this uh, portfolio piece really is the way to look at a lot of the things that we've been exploring. So.
0: Um, Christian, do you want to pick up on that? I saw your comment um, and maybe you can just pick up and say that out loud. Oh, well,
2: yeah, I mean I've just been noticing that, um, you know, that the, the product uh, process tension is kind of a very recurrent theme um, and, and I think that that's, that's often a struggle of, of thinking about portfolios and the way that they're developed and you know, that always brings up these questions of, like, what is the audience, and who is this going to be forward-facing to, and who is the portfolio for? And, um, uh, yeah, it's something that I've been thinking a lot about. I certainly, like, no answer or anything like that, but um, uh, it, it seems that portfolios have a lot of um, capacity to be able to, um, be many things to many people, I guess, and, and have, have, uh, have different faces to different, you know, venues and uh, function uh, as this. Well, I had mentioned earlier, you know, how, how learners can develop their identity as a learner through a portfolio development. And so there's that kind of aspect of who it's for. It's for the audience of the self. But then there's the audience of um, MIT, I want to go to MIT, and I've created this, this maker portfolio that I, can, that I can face after that. And then there's this aspect of the, the reflective components um, that are helping me learn along the way within my learning process, but also providing my, my teacher or my instructor, with this um, window into my learning process and understanding what I'm doing, so it's interesting that there's this kind of constant um, tension that that often comes up in in conversation around portfolios. This tension between, are we, you know, how much product do you include and how much process do you include? Um, but I guess I start to wonder: is is it possible to um, to think about just the, what are the different faces of all of that product and all of that process and then how does that how does that get structured? I mean I guess that's in many ways the big the big problem of you know what is the design of the portfolio and what tools are you using. And um, and I think that's that's for sure a lot of what I think uh, you know Anna will probably be kind of uncovering through the participatory design work that she's going to be engaging in at the sites. Yeah.
0: Well, I am struck by the fact that um, Hillary was talking about um, not even talking about portfolios at first and really trying to sort of support the habits of mind um, in being a reflective practitioner. And um, Kylie uh, Pepler in the last webinar where they were um, talking also about looking at student work brought up this idea of reflecting um, both in practice and reflecting on practice. And you know, when we talk about portfolios, too, we're, we're, we're also talking about both. I think that's what we keep seeing over and over again. Um, and uh, I don't know if anyone wants to continue to comment on this tension and this exciting space. Um, kind of curious, Hilary, um, how, how this has been working, too, in your project.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um... We're really, I mean, just our pilot was so, it ended up being so much about teaching the teachers. Um, we were just getting into um, the students making their own um, blogs um, and sort of seeing what the, you know, possibilities were and also the challenges. Um, but something this is just making me think about is even, like, what a, you know, rubric or criteria is for, A, a good blog, and, a well, no, A, a good post. So even, like, a good, which you could also just call a good reflection. Um, or a good, uh, we've talked about different types of posts that um, young people could make and trying to create this little bank of different ways teachers could bring in different types of posts, whether it's just showing your process, reflecting on your process, showing, going at the end of a unit and reflecting back on the whole thing. Um, uh, One where you just go out and do research and you share your research. So we're just trying to kind of categorize what kind of posts could even go on there. And then I think there's a further discussion of, And then, what makes it good? Um, And then, when you start putting all the pieces, then what makes a good portfolio? Um, And I know that, you know, there's work, whether it's on a blog or not, some of that work's already been done, right? Of just like what is a good portfolio. But then, we're also trying to kind of change the definition of a portfolio. So I'm talking in circles. But (laughs) these are, again, like questions that we're wrestling with, and we're about to go into our next two year phase. But even just getting everyone started with a new batch of teachers this year we want to be a little clearer. we were really non-prescriptive before and we were like okay let's try blogging in your classroom and talking about your work and now I think we need to get a little more prescriptive about there has to be somewhat agreed upon in our own context of what a good portfolio looks like and what a good post looks like or good reflection.
0: Yeah that's really interesting. Anna just reminded us of the tension that um, Jessica brought up about like okay now you've documented stuff but you know now what? You know, what then? Because it's so easy to capture things. Anna, do
1: you want to talk about that a little bit too? Sure, I thought this was really interesting because, especially because what Andrew brought up in the last Connected Learning Talk, um, he mentioned active versus sort of passive documentation, where um, maybe we can use our digital tools to capture as we make, without necessarily paying too much attention, and sort of using the different tools in different ways and not so much maybe talking about tools but sort of about the data that we're capturing so if we sort of start capturing a bunch of data it might be really difficult in a way in the end or later on to parse through all of this data and I think that's also something that Hilary mentioned earlier to sort of see um, this balance and how much do we really want to collect and what do we then use to present ourselves to present our story and so on But at the same time, collecting all of that information might also give us a great opportunity to find things like sort of a surprise moment that, oh, really? This was something I didn't really notice that. Now I'm noticing it as I'm looking at this massive amount of documentation I created. So I guess that's also something that's really difficult to balance, that sort of large amount of data giving us opportunities, but at the same time, burdening us maybe with <laughs> having to look look at the stuff again and again.
4: I'm being silent because there are
0: comments in um, our back channel chat, just to admit that we have a little bit of a back channel chat where we can <laughs> make comments to each other. So I just wanted to open the floor. Um, Kristen, you mentioned things about the a curate or curation aspect of this work and I'm um, because you know there's data collection and then there's the curation of that data whether it's by um, you know by the maker and I'm just wondering if, if people want to speak to that aspect of it too?
2: Well I was yeah I was just thinking about that as um, in, in relation to, to Andrew's uh, comments about this active and passive documentation and the flood of data and information and then the, the second comment I made was, obviously I, I sound like a, a grad student, but thinking about it um, from an inquiry perspective that it's kind of like a ground of theory approach, right? And, and that kind of determines a little bit your curational aspect in some regard of what you're including when you have this massive data and then what are the, the patterns that you see kind of emerging from the work that you've done and, and everything that you've kind of captured as you've been doing the work and having those kind of aha moments of what you've been doing, um, I think is um, yeah. I think those that that's a kind of a special moment to have uh, to kind of have some kind of recognition of what you've been doing. Only through that flood of information, I think is you know has some kind of benefit in some way. didn't really have anything more to add than that, I guess.
5: Yeah,
0: that's great. Uh, we just got a question from the audience that I was um, thinking about. Uh, what does a good learning portfolio look like? Um, which I think is a very interesting question. And can we share examples with the audience? So I do know that um, uh, Learning by Design has a website where you can see some work. and but. Does anybody have other um, suggestions for people about places to look to see some of these portfolios and or some thoughts on what good portfolios
4: look like?
5: I can chime in. (laughs) Christian Christian says he's stumped, and I'll I'll admit that we, that's that's what we're trying to figure out. Um, We don't currently have good examples of good portfolios. and I think that definition will vary from one audience to another and from one learner to another depending on what they do and don't choose to showcase um, and what they do or don't document. And that kind of goes back to the active versus passive um, aspect of documentation too, which is one, a collection of data and two um, what kind of personal perspective you're coming in at it with. Um, One of the things we've found a lot about encouraging youth to document is that it often interrupts the flow of their work. Um, So having them stop to take a picture of their process can be really difficult because they're in it and they're engaged with it, and that's something we don't necessarily want to disrupt either. Um, So it's a great question what a good learning portfolio looks like, um, and we'll be sure to share anything that we find for sure. I just
0: wanted to encourage my colleagues to jump in. I know lots of people have things to say
2: here. Yeah, so um, I was stumped momentarily for sure because uh, that is definitely what we're kind of, you know, endeavoring to kind of understand what does a good portfolio look like. But for sure we can can point to... um, uh, folks who are using portfolios successfully, and when I say using them successfully, I mean that the, the students, uh, for example, at Envision schools in, in Oakland um, are, are utilizing their portfolios in their learning process. And um, the portfolio is part of, part of how they kind of move through their, um, their learning experience and, and graduate and it's part of their, their presentation to graduate, um, and they are also then carried with them. Um, so they don't just stay there at the school and just document what they've been doing at the school, but the, the portfolios are actually um, essentially owned by the student, and then taken with with the student uh, to, to go apply to, to college. And, um, uh, whatever higher education endeavors they happen to be, you know, moving toward, and not that uh, not that all or even many um, high- educations, higher education institutions are accepting portfolios, but at least this kind of this process of portfolio building across the span of four years in high school, um, if they're not presenting the portfolio directly, they they can draw from that portfolio and and. Kind of meta reflect back on the reflections within the portfolio as to what their learning was, um, and be able to present that in their their application process to schools. Um, yeah, and then um, I think uh, you know I think the I think the work that uh, uh, Hillary that uh, that you guys are doing. Uh, and Dreamyard and the Dreamyard Parsons uh, collaboration for these, the Learning Portfolios project, I think, is, is another really good example of of how portfolios are being used successfully, and um, uh, you know, a good example of, of portfolios. And I think, you know, it's maybe in the way that we're thinking about what success looks like in in how portfolios are being used. And I would say that these these notions that Hillary was speaking to about um, thinking about them le- as being less linear, multidisciplinary, um, just kind of personal story, um, and how they become more shareable, I think those are those are definitely things that even in the literature, um, you know, points to as being kind of successful, and then you know you can see it in practice through through what, what uh, what's happening at Dreamyard as well.
0: Jessica, I know you
4: had something to add. Yeah, I was just um, going to say, you know, just this idea about good portfolio made me um, sort of think of the experience of being involved in a project that looks at um, MakerEd. And um, one of the, I guess I would take this invitation also to say that, you know, sort of historically at Project Zero we do a research project and then, you know, somewhere down the road a book is published and we approach this very differently. It's like well, we're here with the ethos of makers and tinkering and iterating and playing, so let's put a blog up and put stuff up in process, messy. Um, let's put our, our research out there as we're finding it. We are sharing teacher work on there as well. But there's also um, you know, a good portfolio. I think Christian earlier talked about context. So a good portfolio in that moment with that learner and what's happening may be very different than something we, anybody might share anywhere else. And also this is a time and a place to play. I mean, quality is an issue and having too much and being overwhelmed, looking for things. But until you kind of get out there and try things in a class, with a school or with an informal um, learning setting. Um, I would be hesitant to to sort of say what's a good portfolio um, you know for those learners or for that experience or for that moment so kind of like you know just embrace the a kind of maker ethos and get in there and tinker around and and then tell us and share out would be um, a way to maybe approach it. Yeah um, it just um, what Jessica
3: was saying um, raises other tension that we're, it's great that uh, Dreamer gets to partner with Parsons because they're actually an art and design school and part of a bigger university um, and have an admissions department, um, and we haven't had a lot of deep conversations with them yet, but it, with badges, too, part of the whole conversation is like, well, who's accepting this, right? So, like, um, we did have a student, you put a link in um, to her application to Parsons, and, like, but then we don't know... Did they look at the digital portfolio? Does it make a difference? If your grades aren't good enough, are they even going to look at it? So part of this whole conversation is admissions departments, employers. Um, it's the same conversation I think we've had around badging about how do we push what's accepted, but also be in conversation with those people who are accepting people, um, whether to school or to work, um, so that we're not like setting up our kids to so, like, yeah, this is the future, and then they get out there and like, well, yeah, no one really is going to accept a-, a link, you know? So um, I, There might be other folks um, in the Open Portfolio Project that are looking at that. But uh, it's just something that we've been grappling with, too. You still have to do a regular application to college. We're just hoping that this link that they can put into a blog or a a website will be able to help round out the story of their education until all you have to do is send a link, and maybe that'll get you into college or get you a job. I'm I'm not sure what the future will be.
0: Thank you, Hillary. Because I was gonna, um, I, we don't have much time left, so I was trying to figure out um, which way to go. But we did have a question about how to pitch this in your context, so whether it's your school or to your administrators or to parents or to students themselves, actually. Um, and I think that gets to this, um, you know, to the development of a, a emerging ecosystem. It's like how do you, how do you, what are the pieces that have to be in place to really start to support this? And um, so I don't know if. People have thoughts about that question, like how to approach this in your context, and then we can sort of move to talking um, about how to get involved with this project, because these are ongoing questions. These are big questions that we all need to think about together, and so we'd like to involve others, too. So, So first it's like how to move this in your own context, I would say.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think we wouldn't have been able to do it without our principal at our high school. So we're doing this in an out-of-school setting at our art center, where I'm the director of program, so I get to say yes. And then um, also our principal at our high school has been a huge champion of this. And I think we well, already thought was thinking about portfolios didn't matter if it was, I don't know if it mattered, but like you know, there's a portfolio movement obviously across the country and portfolio schools in New York, um, and so. But without her championing it and a, like a small group of teachers that really wanted to champion this, I don't see how you could do this just like in a classroom, right? So I think um, showing them examples or you know getting one teacher to get really excited about it and start sharing that with other people, you kind of have to go piece by piece. So we started with four teachers, and maybe now we'll be going to ten teachers. So you also can't say like, and now everybody's doing it all at once, and everyone's getting an iPad, and everyone's going to be portfolioing all the time. Like try and pilot it in your own context and learn from what other people are doing. Um, and then win over the people that might be like, oh, another thing to add to my day and standards and Common Core and all that stuff. So start, start slowly, I think, um, but be willing to push that edge. Stephanie?
5: Yeah, Yeah, and and going off of the Hillary, um, a lot of the things that we've seen that works with communities and organizations, whether they're schools, museums, libraries, is also often a teacher champion or a school administrator champion. One who starts is really excited about this work who sees making and the development of portfolios and documentation as a really great way, an interdisciplinary, iterative approach to learning that allows the student to be at the center of it um, and that it really engages both the mind and the hand. Um, And I agree it really depends on context and sometimes it works specifically for one classroom or one club, um, but certainly it can move widely and forward in many different ways.
0: And I'm going to put my two cents in here, too, because in a very, what I heard actually from a lot of the talk um, and the examples, uh, especially between um, uh, Jessica and Hillary, um, are these examples of where educators themselves are getting the opportunity to actually start to develop their own portfolios of practice. And so in a writing project uh, style way, educators themselves get a chance to experience what they might work with their Their um, students and their learners on, and I think that could be a really powerful way to um, support thinking in new ways and kind of bringing in new practices and uh, uh, into different kinds of spaces. Jessica, were you going to say something? Um, Okay. Okay, great. So um, just because we are at the top of the hour, we have two minutes. So I really don't want to miss um, letting folks who are tuning in today get a chance to find out how to get involved, to learn more, to contribute their ideas, and, and help to further this conversation. So maybe, Anna, I'll pass that over to you, and, of course, I invite Stephanie and Christian to add to this, too.
1: Sure. Thanks, Christina. So, I think also this concept specificity that we just ended our conversation with is really something that we're um, moving towards um, as the next steps in our project. So, we'll be visiting different maker sites and um, performing participatory design workshops with the young makers and the educators in those spaces. And I think so, this is definitely also. a way to get involved to fill out our site surveys that we have passed out right now or that are really ongoing that we'll be using also for selecting the kind of maker sites that we want to be visiting so we'd really love for everybody to fill out that survey and I think we'll be sharing um, links to the survey um, on on the website Christina is nodding her her head so that's great Um, and if you want to find out more about the open portfolio project there's a website on the maker um, education initiative pages um, specifically for this project um, where you could also register on the interest form um, if you wanna receive emails and so forth um, about the project in the future So these are really good opportunities to get involved. And we're really hoping for people to get involved and and share their interests about portfolios and, and really learn from the community out there working with portfolios in makerspaces specifically.
0: Great. And Stephanie says, yes. (laughs) Um, So we're really excited about this project. And I just really want to thank everybody so much for being part of this Educator Innovator Connected Learning webinar today. And this whole series this month has been so rich and fascinating with conversation. And we encourage everybody to continue the conversation at the Connected Learning hashtag. And uh, if you want to stay informed about, um, oh, also the Google Plus community. I'm looking at my notes to remind me. (laughs) So the Google Plus community is a great place to continue these conversations in addition to what Anna shared, Uh, the Connected Learning hashtag. And then um, if you want to stay informed about upcoming webinars at Connected Learning TV, make sure to sign up for the newsletter at um, ConnectedLearning.tv. And also, there's a whole bunch of connected learning activities happening this summer. So we just want to make sure that you check out the makesummer.org website. It's, a a, you know, folks from all over the globe, really, um, uh, doing a range of activities, many that you can plug in um, to during the summer, and also to follow the hashtag makesummer. So with that, I wanted to just... Say good night. thank everybody for uh, connecting today, and have a really um, wonderful, maker-filled,
4: connected summer this summer.